Some people may be shivering, but it was, it, was, it, was, uh, it was warm in here when we got here this morning, so we turned the AC down. In the words of my grandmother, it was real closed. Closed is what she would have called it. I don't know. I think that meant humid, but she said a lot of words that we really don't know what they meant, but uh, we'll attribute them to her, and we'll, we'll be good with it. Um, hey, before we get going, um, I want to celebrate one thing, but then also mention something else. Uh, we, we're about 14 years old as a church family, and it's, it's been fun. Like, it, it's been literally, like, really, it's been a lot of fun. And one thing we've never really had to do is we've never had to ask for money um, from the people that are called Origins, this family. Uh, God has just directed uh, regular sacrificial and generous giving, and, and so we're incredibly grateful for that. December is one time of the year that we do, like, we're going to ask you to give towards something. Um, and last year was the first year that we did it. It was called, we're just, we're calling it something very complicated. We're just calling it Give. Give, G-I-V-E, believe it or not. And so we have a direct budget line item. You give directly to that, and it doesn't go to our general budget. It doesn't go to take care of rent or love the city or salaries or anything like that. Um, It goes to just specific things that we direct it to. Last year, we divided it amongst four areas. This year, we're doing it uh, for three. And each Sunday this month, you'll get to hear about one of those areas. Um, One of those that it's going to this year is Mountain View Christian Counseling. Um, they are not a part of Origins, but they are a part of downtown, and we appreciate what they do. Um, they do it very, very well. Uh, we've had several families and individuals within Origins go and, and utilize their services. Um, I met Brandon several years ago when it was just kicking off. Brandon, the, the lead counselor that started it, uh, was a pastor, and he felt God moving him out of that into a different type of pastoral role, and so it's more of a counseling role. And they see believers and non-believers, but they're going to do it from a, a biblical worldview. Um, but they're going to do it uh, with this idea that, yes, you need Jesus, uh, and you don't need other things necessarily for salvation, but for healing, there could be more things that you need, like directed ideas that you need. And so they, they do a, a great job at balancing that. Um, we've had a couple of families that I asked to just kind of write some some things just anonymously about their experiences with them, and uh, just to read a couple words of encouragement uh, from them, and just to give you a little more information about them. Uh, one of our couple says, when we got engaged, uh, we knew we wanted to get premarital counseling, and Matthew, that's, that's me, believe it or not, recommended Brandon at Mountain View um, for Christian marriage counseling, and we are so glad we did our premarital counseling with Brandon. We immediately felt relaxed and confident in him. We especially appreciated his insight and knowledge of scriptures and his prayers for us. We often talk about how good his counsel has been for us. We still see him periodically to seek out wisdom and to help keep us on track. What a blessing Mountain View Christian Counseling has been to us. Uh, We recommend Mountain View to everyone that mentions to us about seeking counsel. Uh, Another family um, said, God has used Mountain View to reveal the importance of counseling in our household and everyday life as a Christian and as a couple. Our family has grown closer to Jesus and each other as well as having experienced healing and victories in areas of our life. Thank you, Alan and Mountain View, for walking with us as Jesus does. And we've had several other families that have been, and we refer to them quickly. Uh, They're a nonprofit, and so they, they raise support to do a couple things. They raise support to take care of people who can't afford to pay for it. Like if someone comes in and they need their services, but they just don't have the funds, they scholarship them. Um, As a church, we take care of families. If they can't afford it, we will help. We'll partner with them in that. Uh, But they do this for a lot of other people. And so they're raising their support for next year. And so one-third of everything that comes in to the Give campaign this month will go to them. Uh, Their flyers or their trifolds are on the back table. If you want more information, grab one of those. Give them a call. Check out their website. If you want to know more about them, like I'll be honest, um, I've spent some time with Brandon, not just at lunch, but in his office. Uh, Very necessary in 
the past couple of years after, like, you know, I don't know if you know everything that I've been through, but I hit a truck, and, you know, it caused some jumbling in my brain. And so as a result, like, I needed to talk some of that stuff out, and he's been, he's been super beneficial and helpful with that. Um, and just even as a, another former pastor talking to a pastor, incredibly helpful. Uh, but they offer a wide range of services, so if you would like to learn more, do that. And so over the course of the month, the Christmas gift campaign, we will run that until December 31st. We'll cut it off at 11.59, um, and everything that comes in will be split among from Mountain View, uh, Set Free Alliance, which you'll hear about next week. One of our elders serves with them. They do good on levels that we can't possibly comprehend as Americans. Um, and then the other third will be going to help send our mission team to Guatemala in April. And so um, we would love for you to do that. And I'll go ahead and throw this out there. Um, and our finance team, I'm looking around. None of them are here today, so they can't throw anything at me. If you can only afford to give to either A, our general budget, or this, I'll just go ahead and tell you this month, if you can only afford one, give to this, okay? We will be okay. We, we'll, we'll deal with it. And so we would encourage you to do that. That's how much we believe that this money will be used for very, very good things. And so if you want more information, let me know. It'll be in the weekly email. It's on the websites. It's on what all the social media, media stuff. Um, and there's just this fancy, fancy, fancy link you can click on. Or if you use our app, we actually have one. If you use that, you go to Give, and it's in the drop-down menu, Christmas Give. And so, yeah, we would love for you to take advantage of that and, and partner with us in that. Last year, I'm not going to give you the number from last year because it's, like, it's crazy. Like, at the end of it, we just looked at it. We set our budget. Uh, we were doing budgeting stuff for next year, and we looked back at last December, and we were like, oh, my word, how did that happen? Uh, we were blown away by how much came in last year. And I'm not even going to toss that out there as a benchmark because we're just trusting that whatever comes in will be used. And I don't want to put that extra stress on you, but it was a lot. And so uh, we were grateful to be able to write those checks and give those away last year as an extension of what we already get to do. So thank you for doing that last year. Thank you for whatever you can do this year. All right, if you have your Bibles today, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I, I, told, I told Colin, if I ever have this many markers in, in my Bible on a Sunday morning, we're in for it. Um, I'm, a, I'm not a topical guy. Uh, I'm, I'm exegetical, which means I like to take a large chunk of Scripture and let's, let's milk that piece of Scripture for everything that it's worth. Today's a little bit different because we're kicking off Advent, um, and we do. We kind of have the theme, and today, like that first Sunday of Advent, is about hope. And so we want to talk about that. And I'll go ahead and, and kind of give away what we're going to do um, before I, I tell you a little bit more about hope. Uh, we're just going to look at just, just four places in the Old Testament that told us what to expect about Jesus. Um, Jesus fulfilled about 300-plus Old Testament prophecies in his life uh, before his death and resurrection. Uh, we're just going to look at four of those today. We're going to look at four that are specifically mentioned in the Old Testament, confirmed in the New Testament, uh, by word, by deed, by action. And, and here's why they were there. Um, we have to think about who was reading the prophecies of the Old Testament. It was the people of Israel. And the people of Israel had been promised for a long time, even since Genesis. Even since Genesis was the first time that we see the gospel mentioned. Uh, they had been waiting and waiting and waiting for this Messiah, this deliverer. Um, they didn't even really have an appropriate word for it, to be honest, in Hebrew, what they were waiting for. But it had been alluded to so many times that someone would come from the line of David and he would be far better far better, far more important, far more capable than anyone else. And there would be some, attribute, there would be some things that were attributed to him uh, that we'll talk about this morning that would make him so vastly different, and he would redeem his people. He would deliver his people. They had seen shadows of it, 
Uh, they had seen shadows of redemption because they constantly had this, this rise and fall in their history. Uh, they would worship God well, then they would sin deeply. They would repent and they would be brought back. So they had seen shadows of redemption over and over and over. And all of those were pointing to the highest possible mountaintop, the eternal redemption that was promised in this one. And so uh, during all of this, the word was tossed out there. Um, and again, not a great English transliteration for the Hebrew idea, uh, but just this idea of, of hope, of hope. And the first Sunday of Advent, that's, that's what we want to talk about. When we talk about hope, I think um, there's a, a couple of things to acknowledge. Number one, we use it very poorly in English. You know, most of the time, we use it, uh, insert whatever uh, sports mascot, college football mascot you want when someone says, insert college mascot. Are they going to win tomorrow? We say, oh, I hope so. You know, we do something like that. Or you drive a car with 275,000 miles on it. Whoop, whoop, do that. Keep it going. And someone says, is your car going to last for another 30,000 miles? You're like, I really hope so. You know, most of the time when we say, I hope so, it's like, I don't really know. Maybe. And if it does, it's great. If it doesn't, I don't know. But that's the way that we use hope most of the time. But in Old Testament ideas and in New Testament ideas, that's a completely different notion because they wouldn't say hope if there was doubt attached. Doubt and hope never were mentioned in the same phrase. They were never mentioned in the same line. There was never subtext of doubt any time that hope was pitched out there. No, hope was this idea that something is coming that we have been assured of, that we can count on, that we can place our confidence in, that we can believe in for our future with such security that there is no doubt. This is hope. This is hope. It's not fists clenched thinking, oh, maybe... Roll the dice. No, it's like, this is as good as here. That's what hope is. And the only thing that's needed to complete that type of hope is visually seeing that it's come. That's Old Testament, New Testament hope. Hebrews chapter 11 kind of completes this idea that faith is the assurance of things promised, hoped for the things to come. Like, it's already been told that it's going to come. We have assurance that it's there. We just need to see it. That's all that's, all that's left. But it's as good as here. That's hope. And I think that's vastly important when we think about the people of Israel and their, their plight, their journey, marred by sin, um, engaged with repentance, um, exemplifying this idea that God loved them so much that he wouldn't turn his back on them like they hoped for this Messiah to come. And it wasn't this, but it was just like, thank you. We can count on it because we, we count on you. And so when we talk about hope in Jesus, this is the way that we want to think about it. If we start with Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, which was our reading for the day, I want to reread it one more time. It says, for to us, this is, this is Isaiah, by the way, 700, 750 years before Jesus was born, uh, through the prophet Isaiah, is considered one of the major prophets. Um, to be honest, if you read through the book of Isaiah cold, very difficult, but there are some things that, that are crystal clear because of what we get to see with Jesus. And that's one of the reasons that I say as believers, where we live, how we live now, we get to start with Jesus and there's so much grace in that. And then we get to fill in the blanks of everything that came before. But, but Isaiah, around 740 uh, or 730 BC, he said, for, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness 
from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is what the people of Israel were waiting on. This is what the people of Israel were expectantly hoping for. They knew that it was going to come. A couple of things. Number one, there's some, there's some interesting language here that sets this apart from uh, the circumstantial prophecy that Isaiah was giving. But he talks about he's a child, he's a son, he's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And so it's, it's out of the ordinary, even for prophecy. And so we see in the beginning, like, he's going to be a son. He's going to be from our people, okay? Uh, we see that uh, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We see that attached to him is not just human stuff, but it's attributes of, of God himself. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, there's no way to get around that. Everlasting Father, Eternal, he's not going anywhere. He's going to lovingly lord over these people, Prince of Peace. He's going to usher in something else that they so desperately desire, which would be peace. And then in verse 7, of the increase of his government, and I think this is where people often get confused and the people of Israel got confused as they did believe that he was going to be very political. But what this is actually saying is that all governments will actually rest upon him. He will have control over all that is going to occur. This is the idea of sovereignty that we pull from Old Testament into New Testament, that yes, while there are things that happen that are not good, that are bad, God is in control and ultimately his glory will be achieved, accomplished, and seen. And then from the throne of David over his kingdom, again coming from his people. And then with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord, or just the heart of God desiring to make this happen, will make this be seen. Like this is what the people of Israel are waiting for. And shortly after the time of Isaiah, they had a period of, of several hundred years in which God was quiet. Like he was quiet. He, he said no huge words to the prophets of Israel. And so they were just waiting for this deliverer to come. And so as we, as we think about Advent and as we think about what we're doing in the scope of a month, you know, think back to the people of Israel. Like try to place ourselves in their sandals just for a little while and just think, man, for several, several generations, they're just waiting on the one that was promised. Fathers were telling their children, one day, God's going to send him. And those children were telling their children, one day, God's going to send him. Those children telling their children and their children and their children and their children, one day, God's going to send that one Redeemer, that one Redeemer who will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and he'll never leave. He'll never leave. That's what we look forward to. This is what we celebrate. We don't celebrate just some goo-goo, gaga, ooing, googling baby wrapped up in clothes that weren't his, uh, possibly in a cave or a stable or whatever. Like, yes, we celebrate that, but attached to this baby is so much more. Like, attached to this baby is like the one that all of creation that came before that would come after that we have been groaning in expectations with. The Bible even talks about like a mother in labor, you know, groaning, ready to deliver. That's Jesus. That's what the world had been waiting for. That's what God's people had been waiting for. And even those who were not yet his people had been waiting for. But again, I just want to reiterate, the hope is not maybe if possible, but it's this is assured. This is coming. He will be here. We trust this because we trust God. This is hope. This is hope. 
And so uh, we see in Isaiah 9 that he, he talked about what this, this child, what this son would be, some of the names of the fact that he wouldn't end, the fact that he wasn't just normal human, but it was God. There was deity, not just uh, indwelling, but it was in every sense deity himself coming, walking around with us. Uh, New Testament would call him Emmanuel or God with us, God with skin on, this idea, like this is what they were hoping for. But not only did he tell him what to expect that he was coming, but in the in the course of, of several hundred, 300, 500 prophecies, God also revealed to them through the mouths of people, like, and this is how you will know. This is how you will know. And so this morning, I want us to look at four places that when he came, uh, the people of God would be able to look and say, that's him. That's him. And I do want to throw out, before we get to that, I, I think that we have a perception, um, even based on a lot of current events, and everything that uh, Israel or the people of Israel, Jewish people, by and large, didn't believe in Jesus, that he was the Messiah. Here's the thing that we forget and that we miss. Like all of the early church, for the most part, until, you know, after Acts chapter 2, for the most part, they were Jews. Like Jesus came to the Jews because he was a Jew. He was from the Jews. Everyone that heard the gospel and responded to the gospel in the early days, they were Jewish. And so... I think a lot of times because we think that, that a majority of Jews from at least a, a, a geopolitical spectrum uh, do not claim Jesus as the Messiah, I think we have to understand that the church, the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, it was predominantly Jewish in the early days. They had this ability to see the one true God. They had the ability to see the one whom he sent. And they had the ability from God by grace to respond to that. And out of that, the body of Christ was born. And so the church, by and large, was Jewish. And now they were what we would call Messianic Jewish. They, they were grown in the Jewish faith, and then the, the orthodoxy of that, the monotheistic nature of that, and then they were able to respond by grace through faith to Jesus, his life, his death, his words, and his resurrection, and through that receive salvation. And so we have to understand that God's writing it to them so that they would recognize it, so that they would respond to it, so that the church would grow out of them. Okay? And so I want us to look at four things throughout the Old Testament in which were said, hey, uh, I've told you what's going to come. Um, I've told you who is going to come. I've told you uh, to expect it with, with hope and assurance. But now I want to give you some signs so that when he comes, you can see it. The first, we're going to flip over to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah is, is spattered with a lot of these. And even as it comes to the, the, the crucifixion, um, but in Isaiah 61, just in the first verse, and if you're going to turn with me, you're going to be turning a lot. And I applaud it. Go for it. I'll try to take a couple extra breaths and let you turn, but it'll also be on the screen this morning. By the way, if you want a Bible to turn and you don't have one, we have them on the back table. We'll be glad to replace them if they're gone. So, so grab those, keep one, write in it, stick your name in it. You can even do a stamp. I don't care. Whatever you want. Isaiah 61.1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And so this, through the mouth of Isaiah, God is again revealing who this Christ would be. And in this first place that he's showing something that would occur so that when they saw it, they would recognize it. It's a promise and a prophecy. A promise and a prophecy. 
speaking from the Christ that would come, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, would not be just human, because the Lord has anointed me, the Lord God, the Father, has sent me to bring good news to the poor. The poor, that's us. We are without hope. We are without possibility of salvation unless we are told what the good news is. Uh, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Again, us to proclaim liberty to the captives. Again, us and the opening of the prison or the eyes to those who are bound. And the reason that we see this proven, number one, if we read the gospel, we see Jesus doing this one person at a time. And you say, well, he's speaking very metaphorically here. He is. Give me one second. He's speaking metaphorically, but at the same time, we see him do this one person at a time. We often talk about like Jesus came to restore mankind, and most often as he was walking, as he was talking, as he was healing, he was just doing it one person at a time until the cross, but just restoration whether they were blind, whether they were lame, whether they were mute, whether they were indwelled by demons, whatever it was, one person at a time, one miracle at a time, one deliverance at a time, one restoration at a time, because he could. But then if we flip to Luke chapter 4, verse 16, the reason that we say that this is one of those that is confirmed and so we can look at it and read it well, Luke 4, 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth, this was his home, where he had been brought up, Y'all are still turning. I'm going to give you a second. I'm sorry. I'm on a boat, and that engine's going. So just hurry up. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know what he did right there? He quoted the words of the prophet Isaiah. In the temple, where the Jewish people gathered to learn, they said, hey, it's your turn to read. You don't get to pick what you're about to read. Here's the scroll. And he opened it up. And man, look at that. What a coincidence. It was him who spoke in the Old Testament through the prophet Isaiah, and it was him who spoke now. He said, you want me to read? Okay. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, I love this. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him and began to say to them, and he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And then they said, is this not Joseph's son? (laughs) So he sat down, they passed him the scroll, he opened it up and he read about himself through the writings of the prophet Isaiah, 700 plus years previous. And then he said, and by the way, because I've read this today, this prophecy has been fulfilled because this is what I'm here to do. And they were all astounded, blown away. And some of them began to say, aren't you the son of the carpenter? Like Joseph, the guy who built our table, fixed our door, fixed our gate. How do you know this stuff? Because he wasn't just a man. He was anointed by God. He was sent by God. He was indwelled by God because he was God himself. 
prophesied 700 previous years, confirmed in the synagogue, and then with the rest of his actions, with the rest of his words, with his crucifixion, with his resurrection. And so I would like to think that a couple years from now, from this place, from where he read this in the synagogue, um, probably two years later, when they saw him on the cross and they heard him say, Tetelestai, or, or it's done, or it's finished, when they heard him say it, they were like, ah, I remember now. I remember now. It's the one we've been waiting for. It's the one we've been waiting for. The one we've had hope for. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 7, 14 and look at another. So that was a promise and a prophecy fulfilled by Jesus' words, fulfilled by Jesus' actions. And now in Isaiah 7, 14, another prophecy or promise one of these we, we read about frequently, but still, it needs to be stated. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, a sign so that you'll know this is the one that you've been waiting for, the one that's been promised. Behold, a virgin shall, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, or God with us. Okay, let's throw it out there. This ain't normal. Shouldn't happen. Couldn't happen. National Geographic, done a lot of stories on it. Tried to figure it out. Is this possible? Frogs can do it. Guess what? People can't. People can't. Uh, there's no woman in the world that can go out and by herself make a baby. Can't happen. Okay, that's not a political statement. It's a science statement. Okay, again, frogs can. Frogs are different. We're not frogs. Okay, I don't have webbed feet. If you do, that's okay. It's a genetic anomaly. You're probably a better swimmer than I am. Good for you. Choose your sport well. But that's not me. And, and I'm not an amphibian either. I tend to sink. Um, but that, either way, the fact that this person, this Jesus, this Messiah, this Emmanuel, God with us, came from a woman that did not know a man, not normal. Not normal. And Jesus, and in the Old Testament, is being tossed out here by God through the prophet Isaiah. Here's, here's one sign for you. Okay, that one that you've been waiting on, the hope that you have in you, the promise of the one that you've been expecting, the one that, that all you need to do now is to see, because you already believe, uh, one way that you're going to know that it's him is he's going to come from a woman and there will have been no earthly father. Pretty crazy. Not normal. I think we sing it in a song, you know, round young virgin. I think that's the actual, I always say round yon, but I think it's supposed to be, you know, short for young, silent night. Um, she was round because she was pregnant. She was young because she was, and she was a virgin. You know, you can't argue with silent night, holy night, all the time, all is bright. You can't, you can't do that. But we sing about it, but very often we just, we don't really stop to think about it. Like, this was a woman in biblical terms that knew not a man. That's old English. It still works. We flip over. Um, to Matthew chapter 1. It's going to be up there. This is also affirmed in Luke chapter 2, which we won't turn, but you can trust me, we'll be reading about it over the next couple of weeks. But in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, it says, and Matthew just kind of condenses the whole birth story after the, the super long lineage, which is also incredibly fascinating, but I'm not going to do that to you today. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, promised to Joseph in marriage, before they came together, okay, I'm just looking around. I don't think we need to spell that out. We know what that means. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Believe it or not, in Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I promise you, if it's shocking to us, it was far more shocking to Joseph. I promise. We've heard it in songs. We've heard it in reading of Scripture. We've probably seen it on, on some type of illustration, Mary with a donkey and Joseph leading the donkey. You know, all of those things. We've seen all of that stuff. Joseph, he heard it from an angel in a dream, I promise. Shocked him way more than it will ever shock us. And in his shock and probably in his anger beforehand, he was put at ease. He was put at ease by the Spirit of God saying, um, yes, I know you're upset right now. I know this is crazy. You don't have to fear. She hasn't known a man. This is Emmanuel. The one your people have been waiting on. The one that David was a foreshadow to. The one that David, from his line, will promise through you and through her. That one. The hope that was placed in you. That's who's coming from your wife. It's crazy. We shouldn't read that and just read over it and be like, eh. Virgin birth, no big deal. No, that shouldn't happen. But it did. It did. As a sign and as a pointing to, this is him. This is him. It wasn't just a miracle. I almost said miracle because I say that too much just as a joke, but it started to become normal for me to say miracle. It wasn't just a miracle for the sake of miracles. It was used to point to the fact that miraculously God had come to redeem us, to save his people, to walk among us. Insane. Micah 5.2. Let's turn there. Here's the third sign. I'm waiting. We're doing it. You're doing it. Keep it up. My sticky pages are messing with me today. Micah 5.2, third sign. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. The third sign that we look at today is Jesus was born in Pelzer. I say that because I'm from Pelzer, okay? Uh, no one famous, hardly, other than need-to-breathe guys are born in Pelzer, all right? It just it doesn't happen. And they claim Possum Kingdom, and I, I'm from Possum Kingdom. They're from, like, a breath of Possum Kingdom. I'm really from there. I mean, I could walk to the Possum Kingdom fire department, but this would be the same thing, like, hey, he's going to come from Possum Kingdom. Why would anybody famous come from somewhere like that? Like, why, why would that happen? If I mention, like, LaRue uh, County, Kentucky, does anybody know where that is? LaRue County, Kentucky? Where's my wife? Where's she? Do you know where LaRue County, Kentucky is from? Okay, guess what? Abraham Lincoln knew where it was from because that's where he came from. Should, I mean, that's weird. 
That's weird. Why? Why in the world, in the Old Testament, of all places that he could pick, of all places would God say, um, and that one that I promised from old, from ancient days, well before 700 B.C., long, 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 long ago, um, from you, O little town of in, you know, inconsequential Bethlehem, that's where he's going to come from. Because again, it was a sign of the ridiculous. The sign of the crazy, the sign of the unbelievable. Now, Bethlehem was special in its own way, but it was still insignificant in the grand scheme of things. That's where David was born. Okay, David was born there. That's where David was anointed, but still, it really wasn't on any maps, except David's. And it was apparently on God's map as a way of like, if my son could be born anywhere by a woman who is known not a man, somewhere that would just be crazy, that would be a sign, this would be the place. Backwater. Possum kingdom, middle of nowhere, with a name, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And so then, again, we flip to Matthew chapter 2. Again, I, I just want to make sure you understand. We're not just pulling these out and, and not, not looking at them. But Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Now after, oh wait, I'm going to give you a moment. Sorry. You're going to turn. It's on page 807. Sorry. It's like a dad Bible joke. It's horrible, but I'll use it all the time. It's great. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. You can also find it in Luke chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Guess where? Yep, we just read it. Micah chapter 5. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. And from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. As a sign, Christ was born in Bethlehem. And then in Luke chapter 2, we see it. We see them go back. Where? Because of the census. They went back to Bethlehem. There was no room in the inn. Probably wasn't an inn, but either way, that's what we read into it because that's what we've been told. And it's not in the Bible. We'll talk about that later. But either way, like Bethlehem of all places. And so even these prophets, when Herod goes and he's like, hey, experts on Jewish stuff, I need to know where this Messiah is going to be born. Do you know how they knew? They had read Isaiah. They had read Micah. They had read all of these books, and they remembered in the book of Micah, chapter 5, 2, that from you, O Bethlehem, you little insignificant place, not an insult, but a sign from you, from you will come my Savior. Hope. Like Jesus gives us these things so that we may recognize and see him and believe, like hope. I told you that hope is rarely ever mentioned in the same line as doubt. There's another thing, there's another thing that, that hope is uh, rarely ever mentioned without, and it's faith. Faith. They go hand in hand. There can be no hope without faith. There can really be no faith without hope. Jesus gave them these signs, these repeated places, so that when they saw him, they would recognize him. And then the last, the last we, we sing about this, um, in some, some minor songs, but it's still there. We're going to go to Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Hosea 11, verse 1, page 757. 
your Bible may be 757. I've seen a lot of people that, that have the same translation that I do, so that's great. So you, you may actually get there. You can try it, see what happens. But we're not going to wait for you to turn back after you figure out it's not in the right place. Hosea 11.1, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So again, we read this by itself without uh, the beauty of actually getting to see Jesus' life, and we're like, ah, I don't know what you're talking about, Hosea. I'm not exactly sure. But that's the way prophecy was. Sometimes prophecy were things that were said, and you wouldn't recognize it until it happened, until it occurred, and then you would be transported back, and you'd be like, oh, I know that stuff. And I think that's an interesting point for me to throw out. When we're talking about prophecy, this is just a side note. When you read Old Testament prophecy, when you read New Testament prophecy, very often we're not meant to understand it when it's written. We're meant to understand it when we see it happen so that we can worship then and be like, oh, I remember that you said that that was going to occur. I'm going to believe you even more now. So anyway, Hosea. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 2 again. Chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And many of you know this part of Jesus' story. It wasn't when he was a little baby. He was probably a little bit older. Verse 13, And now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son, Hosea 11.1. Repeatedly, Jesus promises the Messiah will come, the Deliverer will come. Place your hope in that, believe in that, hold on to that. But not only did he give a promise, he gave proof before it ever happened. He said, just wait, just wait. And when you see these, you will believe or you will believe more. So for the people of Israel, these things very much like when when Herod went and, and sought out the experts, they would have been like, oh, well, we know where he's supposed to be born. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. They believed by extension of the prophecy. And a lot of other people of of Israel, a lot of other Jewish people, when they would have seen this, regardless of of what things are going on right now, socio and and geopolitically, uh, so many Jews would have seen this and they would have been like, this is the Messiah that was promised that we have hoped for, that my grandfather's grandfather's father told me about, by extension. Like, this is him. And for us, I think uh, the response is very similar. Like for us, it should be such a similar thing. Like for the people of Israel, what would it have caused them to do? Number one, I think it would have bolstered their faith that these signs that God gave hundreds of years before Jesus came, like when they saw them fulfilled, even though they had hope of hope, not that they were just like maybe, but they were like, yes, it's coming. When they would have seen it, their faith would have grown. They would have believed even stronger. I think for us, it's a very similar thing. Like throughout the course of this this Christmas season, this Advent season, as we think about what Jesus has done and all of the things that we needed to wait on, all of the things that we needed to hope expectantly for, for God to be real to us through Jesus, for us to be able to be forgiven of our sins, for our sins to be taken away and in its place, salvation placed in us, for us to be no longer strangers and aliens to God, but family welcomed in as sons and as daughters, all of those things that we hoped for before we ever knew that we needed them. Like during this time of the year, this should cause us to celebrate and our faith to grow because we see that God promised it well before we were a twinkle in our mother's eyes and he delivered on his promise because he's good. 
And during this time of year, as we, as we look at the impossible as it occurs, from being born in Podunk, Bethlehem, to being born of a virgin, to actually being God with skin on, to walk among us, to know our struggle, to know our strife, so that we could know Him intimately and make Him known personally, to look at all of these miraculous occurrences, we should look at this throughout this season and not just look to a tree and not just unwrap presents, but say, thank you, God, for providing for me what I so desperately needed. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. And I'm not opposed to presents. I'm not opposed to trees. I love those things. I think they're beautiful, and they smell good, even the fake ones. They still have a smell, and they remind us of Christmas, at least in my family. We always had artificial trees. But anyway, I remember the smell of the attic, and it reminded me of Christmas. Like, I I love all of those things, but man, they wouldn't matter if it wasn't for Jesus. It would just be another, another day off another chance to spend money, another chance to give gifts, and none of those things are bad in and of themselves, but it's Jesus. So throughout this season, I think for us, we, we do the same thing that the people of Israel did. Number one, we worship well. Like, worship well. Like, during this time of year, it's, it, I think it's easier than any other time. Just, man, just to worship well. We're singing songs that you probably know and you didn't even know that you knew. Like probably several of those Christmas songs, you couldn't have written those lyrics down if someone asked you to, but as soon as the music started playing, you could sing them because you had heard them hundreds of times, thousands of times, and you just knew them. Worship well. Find a chance to play good Christmas music in your car. You know, don't let it give you road rage as you're trying to get out of Costco. Don't do that. Costco is crazy. Um, And Lindsay Christian's not here today, but she, she manages Costco, and we appreciate it if you're listening, Lindsay. But it's still crazy. I was there yesterday with my kids. Big mistake. (laughs) Big, huge mistake. But either way, like maybe find good opportunities. Just, man, just to listen to good, like Christmas music. Find chances to worship during this season. It's easy. Celebrate well. And you're like, well, that's the same thing. No, celebrate well is a little bit different. Celebration leads to worship. But but find ways to invite people into your celebrations. Find, Find ways to invite people in. Like next Saturday, we have our Origins Christmas party. It's a skaties party which is combining the word skate and 80s. That's right, skaties. I made that up. It's not scabies. Scabies bad. Skaties, awesome. If you want to come out, it's going to be in Taylor's on Saturday night. Dress up in your favorite 80s clothes. Bring an appetizer. And guess what? As we celebrate, as we fall, and as we scrape our knees and eat a lot of fun stuff, you can also invite somebody. And they're not going to hear a message. They're not going to hear anything like that, but they're going to meet people who are likely going to build relationships and invite them to celebrate and worship well. Just invite people. Your neighbors who may never darken the door of a church building, they'd be willing to come and worship with you on Christmas Eve. It's very likely. If they don't have a church family, man, invite them here on Christmas Eve. We'll be here regular time, 930, very minimal setup, very minimal anything. We're not even going to have sound. We're just going to have songs. We're going to have the Christmas story. We're going to have hot chocolate, and we're going to be in. We're going to be out, and we're going to sing about Jesus. And then we're going to go home, put on our pajamas, and do what the rest of Christmas Eve people do. I don't know. Invite them. Celebrate well, but in our celebration, invite people into that. And then thirdly, just like these signs did when they were confirmed to the people of Israel, as we think about all of the things that God promised through Jesus, all of the things that God promised through Jesus, and we've seen them come, through, come to fruition in our lives, like just let the season grow our faith. Don't let it make us more skeptical, more cynical, more angry, more bitter, because the world needs no more bitter Christians. It doesn't need that. Let it grow your faith. 
Let it make you joyful, even joy to the world. We're going to reference as many Christmas songs as we can. I should have started that earlier. I'm behind. Let it bring you joy. Let it bring you joy and grow your faith. Because, man, number one, I don't think God would have given signs if he didn't want us to believe even more. But number two, the world needs to see us believe stronger, believe fuller, believe in a more complete fashion. They need to see it. They need to hear about it. They need to because they need to. And this is a time of year where it's just, it's a bit easier. It's a bit easier, so let's take advantage of it. God, we thank you. Um, We thank you that you're a God of your word. We thank you, God, that you, through the work of Jesus, um, you did what you said you would do. That you would send one to deliver, you would send one to save. uh, You would send one that when we looked at him, we could see you. And God, thank you that we as, as a people, we as followers, we can start with Jesus and see all of those things come true and then go back and see as you grow our faith that you promised them hundreds, if not thousands of years before. And God, sometimes it's so hard to look at and it's so hard to parse through so many of those things. I pray you would give us extra grace and extra understanding that your spirit would speak louder than doubt and that you would use this time of year to, to grow our faith. You would use this time of year to be an opportunity to celebrate and invite people in. And God, you would use this time of year to allow us just to to worship you incredibly well. Thank you that Jesus is worthy. Thank you that he's capable. And thank you that he came to save us um, because we couldn't save ourselves. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.